When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, everyone, and welcome to DevRaga Personal Finance, Episode 72. In this episode, um, I thought I'll talk a little bit about hedging and speculation. And uh, then we'll go on to the main topic of short selling. Now, short selling is a form of a hedging. Uh, we've already kind of talked about short selling and hedging um, in the options trading world, um, particularly in episode 56, where I go into um, options such as put options and call options. So if you want to learn more about those advanced concepts, check out episode 56. And uh, that's part of the derivatives episode. Um, and I'll talk about the various types of derivatives involved. Now, shout out to Facebook member Rajesh Harjai. Uh, thanks for the topic suggestion of uh, talking about hedging and speculation. So appreciate that. Um, if you're new to this channel, um, in my view, the aims of this channel is three things. The first thing is to educate. Make sure that you get educated about personal finances. We all work very hard for our money. And I'm just surprised at we spend so much time researching about cars, iPhones, smartphones, electronics, or furniture. We need to spend a little bit more time educating ourselves about personal finance. The second thing that I want to do with this is I want you to be empowered with knowledge so that when you go talk to your accountant, your lawyer, your personal financial advisor or financial planner, then you have some element of knowledge armed so that you can talk on a level that you can understand rather than being bamboozled um, when they talk about um, you know concepts of personal finance. The third thing I want to do is entertain, which means part of that is saying really bad jokes so, um, so that you don't have to laugh at them. But part of the concept of this podcast channel is to be entertained and make it as interesting, fun, and a good experience as best as I possibly can. Now, just a disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not an accountant, I'm not a lawyer, nor am I a financial planner. So make sure you take any financial decisions you want to make in your personal finances to your own appropriate professional advisors. Now, if you're stuck on what to do, here are some simple steps to get you in the right track when it comes to investing, saving, and personal finance in general. In my humble view, there are five easy steps which anybody could do. Step one, pay yourself first, take 20% of after-tax income and put it aside, that is your pay yourself money. Step two, invest that money, ideally in something you understand or want to understand. I just invest in index funds because I understand them, it's easy, it's simple and it's cost effective. Step three, always reinvest dividends because the power of compounding is absolutely real. Step four, do it for the long term, at least 20, 30, ideally 40 plus years. And step five, always automate this process and automate the investment process forever. Now, if you did that, you're likely to end up with more money than you'll ever need. And remember, money is just a tool. 
It doesn't bring you happiness. Use it as a tool to make your life and the people around you, their lives, better. So in this episode, the main topics will be hedging, speculation, and finally, short selling. So what are these concepts? Let's dive into it. Let's go into it in much more detail. Just remember, you can subscribe to these podcasts for free on castbox.fm, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Player FM Podcasts, or via my website, devraga.com. And also, please join Devraga Facebook page on Devraga Personal Finance Facebook page for my posts, episodes, questions, comments. They're always welcome. So, what is a hedge? A hedge in non-financial terms is a hedge is like a type of plant which is used to form boundaries or barriers. In financial terms, it's kind of like the same meaning. Basically put, it is an investment to reduce the effect of adverse price movements in an asset. That asset can be shares, commodities or currencies. So to hedge against something is similar to buying out an insurance policy. Let's use an example. Suppose you own a home in Queensland. Now, for overseas listeners, it's a state in Australia, often prone to cyclones, flooding and storms, usually on a yearly basis, especially far north Queensland. But it's a beautiful state. It's very warm, nice and humid. So we call it the sunshine state. It would be absolute madness if you own a home in Queensland not to have home insurance policy against such events. So you want to protect your home against such losses from such disasters. You can prevent such disasters. Sorry, sorry, you can't prevent such disasters, but you, but you can at least mitigate the losses from such disasters. So you can't prevent a cyclone, but you can mitigate the losses as a result of a cyclone. Now, the upside of having an insurance policy is if there is a flood or if there is any storms, then you'll be paid out for your losses, your repairs, and your costs associated with rebuilding the house. The downside is if you don't have flood insurance, you've paid monthly insurance premiums, which have gone to waste, so to speak. So you've paid premiums for no reason. In other words, to hedge something or against something comes at a cost and is not free. You could have taken that insurance premium money and invested it in the stock market and possibly made a huge amount of money that year. This is called opportunity costs, and I've spoken about this in previous episodes. So in the financial world, if you were to hedge against existing investments, you would want to eliminate the risk of your portfolio and its assets altogether. This is called a perfect hedge, but in reality, there is no such thing as a perfect hedge. And there is no such thing as a complete elimination of risk. For example, can you guarantee that your risk of staying in your home right now is completely zero from it collapsing? I hope it doesn't collapse, by the way. But can you guarantee me that 100%? The answer is no, but it's extremely unlikely. So you can have a near perfect hedge, but never a perfect hedge. For a perfect or near-perfect hedge, you will need to have a hedge position which is almost at 100% inversely correlated with the asset that you're trying to protect against adverse price movements. If the correlation is not 100% or not near as inverse, then this is called the basis. In other words, every hedge has an element of basis risk. 
This all sounds very complex and sounds very gobbledygook. And to be honest, when I first started understanding this, it took me a while to understand this concept. But please bear with me as I try and nut it down in a very, very simple term. So we'll use some examples. We've talked about hedging before, and that's in the episode called Derivatives. Derivatives are a form of hedging in the financial world. So let's use a form of derivatives, such as put options, and let's use an example of how a put option is a particular type of hedge. And if you want to find out more about derivatives, I encourage you to go back and listen to episode 56, where I go into super detail about the various types of derivatives. I won't be going into that level of detail in this episode. So, back to put options. Supposing I buy company A, whose share price is $10, and I buy 100 shares, so the total cost for me is going to be $1,000. At the same time, I want to hedge my potential losses by buying a put option, which costs me $5, with a strike price of $8 per share by the end of the year. There are two possibilities by the end of the year, by the end of 2020. Company A's share price, company A's share price can rise to $15. My total investment is now worth $1,500. I won't exercise my put option. I would have lost my 5 bucks, i.e. my insurance policy, but I've made a profit of $495. Now, I've included the $5 cost of buying the put option. That's scenario one. The flip side is scenario two, where company A's share price crashes to $0 and trades at that price. So my investment is now worth $0. I've lost all my money. I will exercise my put option, which cost me 5 bucks, and sell my shares at $8 per share, making around $800. Yes, I would have lost $200 plus the cost of a put option, which is $5, which I have exercised, but otherwise I would have lost the whole lot. So my total loss would be $205. So you can use this tactic to hedge against any asset. You can hedge against currencies, you can hedge against the shares, you can hedge against commodities, you can hedge against even interest rates. What about diversification? Is that a form of hedge? I've talked about diversification, income diversification, Expense diversification, hopefully not as diversified when you look at expenses, but also investment diversification, okay? You've got to have a little bit of property, you've got to have a little bit of shares, and in the shares, you've got to have, in my view, index funds, which owns a little bit of the entire stock market. So is diversification a form of hedge? Well, technically it's not, but it's a strategy. It's a well-known strategy to mitigate your losses against significant black swan events and COVID-19 has proved that. So the, buy diversif- the more diversified your portfolio is, the more likely you're going to reduce your losses. Let's use an example and um, let's use the airline industry as an example. Supposing you only bought Qantas or Virgin Blue shares and that's all you owned. In comes COVID-19 crisis and now Virgin and Qantas is worth significantly less. Virgin is worth 8.6 cents at the time of recording this podcast. Um, So last time I checked, um, the trading was actually halted. And at its peak was worth $2 plus per share back in 2006. Qantas is now only worth, um, sorry, Qantas was worth $7.34 at its peak in December 2019. And now it's worth just half that amount. 
To prevent such huge losses, you can just buy the index fund, which has Australia's top 200 to 300 shares and companies, and your losses may not be that great. Now remember, hedging doesn't prevent losses. It aims to mitigate your loss. That is critical to understand. There is no such thing as a perfect hedge. Is hedging something I do? Apart from diversification, I don't engage in formal hedging practices. I don't do derivatives trading. I'm way too busy for that sort of complexity in my life, and frankly, I don't have time for it. The main reason I don't do it is also that I have a long position on my investments. I want to buy, keep buying, keep buying, keep buying, and reinvest those dividends and do it for the long term and never sell anything. I believe the stock prices will rise. I believe the index will rise. I believe in the Australian economy, in the long term, will do well. So, what does that mean? What does it mean when I say that I'm a long position holder of any index funds that I hold? This just means my strategy is very long term, and I expect prices to rise with time. Hedging is useful for people who are trying to make a quick buck in the short term. That's why I don't hedge. I hope that clarifies hedging. Now, that leads to the second topic of speculation. So, what is speculation? I've talked about speculative trading. What does that mean? Speculation means you're willing to do a financial trade knowing that it has huge risks of losing money, but it also has huge benefits of gaining money. For example, day traders focus on speculative trading. They buy and sell shares or commodities or gold or whatever investments in the hope of making a quick buck. And sometimes they do it within the day, within the hour, sometimes even within the minute. Investors who do this are focusing on price fluctuations and capitalizing on this to make money. So how can you tell if your investment is a speculative investment versus just an ordinary investment? Well, there are factors which you can consider and analyse which gives you hints. For example, are you buying that asset just to make money to take advantage of price fluctuations or are you buying it based on its intrinsic value, nature of the asset, income generating capability and expected duration of investment holding and whether leverage borrowed money is involved or not. Speculation in the real estate market, for example, is extremely common. Now, suppose you're interested in buying a property. You demolish it and build multiple apartments, units or townhouses, whatever you want, over the next 12 months. You turn it around and sell it for a profit within the 12 months. The land is still the same, the location is still the same, and nothing much has changed. All you've done is expended capital to improve the building, which is now brand new. You hope to sell the property for a major profit. You've borrowed and leveraged yourself to do this. You haven't really put down any down payment on the new development yourself because you're a property developer. That's what you do. This is a classic case of speculative investing. This is risky because, for example, during the COVID-19 crisis, property market is likely to be stagnant, but it's also super beneficial like last year, for example, when the market was white hot. So, speculation most commonly also happens in the forex trading market, bond market, and of course, the share market. So, speculative investing is taking advantage of price fluctuations in the price of the asset. So, that's about it for hedging, and that's about it for speculation. 
let's talk about the main topic today, which is short selling, which is a very interesting concept. And once again, I don't engage in such practices. I don't short sell anything. It's too complex and I don't have much time to do them myself. But it's important for you to know what short selling is and why it might actually be good for the economy and the share market. So what is short selling? My strategy is long term. I have a long position on my investments and I believe over time my investments will rise in value. So I want to hold on to them for as long as possible and always reinvest those dividends. Short selling is the opposite. It's designed for people who are bearish on the market. They think the price of stocks and the share market will fall. Therefore, they can use this strategy to make money. It's usually taken advantage by advanced traders and investors. Now, to make things easier, I'm only going to be focusing on the stock market when it comes to short selling. So, what is it? Traders can sell a stock which they don't own today in the hope that the stock will decline in value in the future. When it does decline in value in the future, they can buy the stock back again and the difference will be their profit. This is basically short selling. Let's use an example. Suppose you have the ability to know that Virgin shares will be 8.6 cents in 2020. Let's assume it's year 2006 now and the stock value is $2 per share. You could sell 1,000 shares at $2 each and pocket $2,000 in cash in 2006, then buy the stock at 8.6 cents per share in 2020. Your profit then becomes $2,000 minus 86 bucks which is $1,914. You just made some serious cash because you knew in 2006 that in 2020, there's going to be a crisis and Virgin is going to collapse. But the trick is, how do you know that Virgin will collapse in the future? That's the trick behind it. You need to have a bearish opinion about the market. And I'm not bearish about the economy or the market. I'm bullish. I think the market will go up. How can you sell something you don't own? I did mention that you're not selling something you don't own. How's that even possible? This is where it gets really weird. You don't sell something you own. You borrow the shares from another person or other entity and sell it in the open market. Wait, you borrow something and then sell it and then buy it and then give it back? Yeah, it's a bit like selling your neighbor's car, knowing that the car's value will depreciate over time and then rebuying that same car in the future and placing it in the garage of your neighbor without them knowing. This is kind of what happens when you short sell stocks. It's really weird. Now back to the Virgin example. There are two possibilities. And I'm using Virgin as an example because it's a really good sort of highlighting point not to buy individual stocks. Um, but also it, it's a great sort of short selling um, strategy if later on Virgin gets acquired by another company and then the price just skyrockets again. So the possibility one for Virgin is what has happened? That is COVID crisis has decimated the company, stock price is very low and you've made huge profits by shorting Virgin stocks. Possibility two is that COVID never came or Virgin gets acquired by another company and now Virgin shares shoot back up to $100 each and you've just lost a huge amount of money betting the stock will go down. This is kind of what happened to people that were shorting Tesla because they thought the Tesla shares will just crash and they didn't, they haven't crashed and as a result they've lost a lot of money. So here is the major concept with short selling. It's so risky that you making money is limited 
but you losing money is unlimited. What does that mean? This is because there is no ceiling price to the stock to rise to. But the stocks can only go down to zero dollars. They can't go into negative territory. So what does a trader need to do to short stocks? So in other words, with short selling, your upside is kind of limited, but your downside is unlimited because the share price can just skyrocket. There's no ceiling for that. But the share price can only go down to zero dollars because your upside then becomes limited and your downside is unlimited. Okay. So what does a trader need to short stocks? You need a margin account. Now I've talked about margin and leverage in previous episodes, so if you're interested in those, go back and have a listen to them. A margin account is simply a broker account where the broker has the ability to lend the trader the shares they're shorting. When the trader borrows the stock, they need to pay interest on the value of the broader stocks while the position is open. So in the Virgin example I used, they need to pay interest on all the shares borrowed based on value for 14 years because it's 14 years since 2006 until you actually cover your short. That's a lot of money. This is called an open short position. So when does a position close? When does short selling actually close? It closes when the trader decides to buy the stock back at a cheaper price and then pay back the broker who has lent the shares. So in Virgin's example, you bought the stock in 2000, sorry, you sold the stock in 2006 or borrowed stock. And in 2020, you've bought the stock and repaid the original owner and you've shorted the stock, you've covered your short, and that is called a position close. The trader at the time is responsible for the following costs during this time between 2006 and 2020. The interest on borrowing share costs, any brokerage fees, any commissions, so that's up to the trader that is doing the short selling. Now, I've used this example over 14 years, but in reality, people don't short stocks over 14 years. They probably do it over a few months, maybe a year or so, depending on how the economy goes. Um, because if you're sort of shorting stocks over 10 or 20 years, that's ridiculous because over the long term, we know the stock market goes up. So I've just used this as an example to highlight how short selling may work. Let's use another example to see how shorting a stock can be beneficial or very risky. Company A is offering shares at a dollar per share. You want to short the share because you think there are issues with their management. So you borrow a thousand shares and sell it, earning a thousand dollars. During that summer, Company A's management falters and now the share is trading at 50 cents per share. You decide to cover your short or close your short position and buy the same 1,000 shares at $0.50 cents per share at a cost of $500. So your profit is $1,000 minus $500 minus any brokerage, commissions and interest on the borrowing costs. But here's another possibility. That summer you decide not to close the short and you think the company is going to go down further. You're starting to become greedy. A few months later, there is an acquisition of that company and this creates a huge price increase of the share price from 50 cents in the summer to $5 per share. You cut your losses and now want to close the short or cover it and this means you buy the shares at $5 per share, which means a total cost of $5,000. Your total loss then becomes $5,000 minus $1,000 plus any brokerage, interest and commissions. And if the shares went even higher, then you would have lost more money. That's why shorting is risky. Your downside is unlimited, but your upside is very, very limited. So pros of shorting, high profits, little to no capital required, leveraged investments is possible, 
and you can hedge against other investments. The cons of shorting, unlimited losses are possible, downside is unlimited, margin account is necessary, i.e. it's leveraged accounts, you have to pay costs such as interest, commissions and brokerage, and there is a concept called a short squeeze. Now before we talk about short squeezes, we need to find out where do you actually borrow the shares from? Well, the shares are borrowed from other investors who might not even know this is happening. So if you own shares in CBA right now, even though you may have a certificate stating you own shares in CBA, those shares can be borrowed by others and brokers who make money using this method. And that's all handled by the broker. It's a bit like your savings account money displaying money in it. When you log into NetBank, let's say you have $5,000 in your NetBank savings account, there isn't actually a secret location where your money is stored in the bank. It's digital. So the banks use that money and invest it, lend it, and make money on it. And in return, they offer you interest payments on that $5,000, and they promise to have that $5,000 ready for you whenever you need. So the bank, in effect, is borrowing your money to make more money. This is kind of the same process in short selling, where the broker is kind of using other people's shares to make money by, you know, letting other people borrow them and short selling them. So the analogy in the short setting traders markets is very, very similar. So what is a short squeeze? This is when a trader wants to close a short. But because others are doing the same thing, they can't find enough shares to buy back in order to fully close the short. So the reason why a trader wants to close the short is because the share price is rising again. This means as more and more shorters cover their short selling, it artificially raises the price of the stock, which means it creates a short squeeze. That's the irony behind this concept. It can really fire back and bite you in the bum if you're not very, very careful. And that's why this concept is something that advanced traders do, not novice traders. And certainly it's not something that I've ever done and won't even consider doing. What about dividends? What happens when you're shorting a stock and, you know, the company pays dividends to the original shareholder? Well, what happens to the dividend payments during the time the trader borrows the stock? Who gets the dividend? The original owner or the trader who borrowed them? Well, it's the responsibility of the short seller to pay the dividend payment to the entity from which they're borrowing the shorted stock. This is an added cost to the short seller. The short seller is also responsible for paying the entity any bonus shares, spin-offs, and share splits, and these are all unpredictable events which the short seller must be prepared to bear the cost of. So when is a good time to short sell? I'm really painting a really bad picture about short selling. So when is it a good time to actually short sell? When there's a crisis, COVID-19 is a classic example of so many shorters in the market, but you need to anticipate this crisis before it turns up. So think about it. January 1st, 2020, did you wake up in Australia thinking that we would have stage three restrictions across the nation? I didn't. And if you did, kudos, you would have predicted the market shut down and therefore you would have predicted well and you would have maybe shorted stocks and made a lot of money. But I didn't. And that's why it's very difficult to predict the market. It's very difficult to predict the future. I maintain that no one can predict the future. Therefore, you can't technically predict when to short sell. But if you did know what's coming in the best time to short sell is a bear market where valuations reach rampant levels where the market is reacting to unrealistic optimism. A company's fundamentals are poor, poor revenues, poor management and high expenses. These are some of the scenarios in which short selling may make sense to you. Now, overall, short selling, can it actually be good? Well, short selling allows for traders to buy and sell shares on speculation. 
The good thing about this is it connects buyers with sellers all the time, and this is called providing liquidity in the market. Imagine if everyone in the market is like me. Everyone in the market is like Devraga. I keep buying all the time, no matter what the market does. If everyone did this and no one sold, the markets will continuously rise and the risk is there, rampant optimism in the market. Okay, So you can imagine short sellers are keeping the market in check in a strange way. They tend to make sure bad companies are highlighted and try and make a buck out of the process. But short selling can also be used to manipulate the market. Here is an example. Let's say company A's fundamentals are actually quite good and they're doing very well. A group of unscrupulous short sellers want to screw the company and make money. They begin to short the company, but selling loads of shares of that company. And those sales are based on borrowed shares. This leads to people panicking about the company. Something must be wrong. People are selling the company's stock. So they start selling as well. This creates a market manipulation situation where the price of the share actually falls. But the fundamentals of the company is still very good. So why panic? Then the group of unscrupulous shorters buy the stock at a bargain price and return it to the entity or person they borrowed it from. And this means the shorters have manipulated the stock price to their advantage and made money off it. This is highly illegal. So you've got to be very careful about you know, trying to manipulate the market by using short selling as a strategy. Now, this leads to the final concept in short selling, something that you need to be aware of if you're going to be engaging in such short selling behavior. Not illegal behavior. I'm not talking about market manipulation. I'm talking about some of the concepts you need to know about short selling to find out, you know, what is the metrics of it. This is called short selling metrics. Short selling ratio, what is it? The ratio of shorted shares compared to the total market floated shares, the higher this ratio is, the more shorting is going on. And if there's unusually high short interest ratio, this gives market analysts an idea something is up. And the second concept of metrics is the days to cover ratio, that is the total shares held short divided by the average trading volume. If this ratio is high, then we are bearish territory for that stock. So, Hedging, speculation, and short selling. That's about it for this episode. We've covered a lot and flashback to derivatives a little bit with my put option example. So thanks very much for listening um, and shout out again to Rajesh Harjai for this topic idea. So thank you, Rajesh, for the topic. And remember to like Devraga Facebook page and shout out questions, comments, or topic suggestions and also contact me via Messenger. Share this channel with family and friends, castbox.fm, Spotify, Google Podcast, or devraga.com, or Play FM lists. And always, always, always pay yourself first 20% of after-tax income and make sure you invest it for the long term, reinvest the dividends, and automate the process. This is Devraga Personal Finance, episode 72. And as always, learn about short selling, learn about finances, and mostly, and this is very relevant for 2020, Always make sure you stay safe. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 